reach for your Bibles, either a hard copy of your Bible, you can use the Pew Bible, or turn in your uh, mobile device and turn with me to Genesis for our scripture reading, Genesis chapter 26, Genesis chapter 26, and will you stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to be reading Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 28. It says, Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you for you and to your offspring. I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Verse 6. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, Oh, she's my sister. For he feared to say, My wife, thanking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of the window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. And so Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say, she's my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. And so Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us. For you are much mightier than we. And so Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Drar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. And so he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also, so he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And from there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night, and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and will bless you, and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there, and called upon the name of the Lord, and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. And when Abimelech went to him from Drar with Ahasath, 
his advisor and Fickle, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to see me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? And they said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together in person here this morning. I thank you for each one that is here. And we ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds to this passage of Scripture in Genesis. Use Roger as your mouthpiece as he preaches to us now. May we be ready to hear the words and to be doers of the word. So convict us and challenge us with the message here this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, Bruce. Good morning, family. Um, we were at dinner last night, and I think it was Todd that said, uh, you're, are you a missionary or you're just family coming home for dinner? And that felt really awesome to, uh, to be received in that way, and to people, it's kind of scary when people know us that way, too. There's not a lot we can hide from. So I just want to say thank you. We've been home for about six, seven weeks now, and... Um, we're grandparents, we're getting um, up in years, and things are changing for us, but we're having a great time. Good to be with you guys this morning. Um, I have a, a lot I want to share in a short amount of time. Um, we're going to talk a lot tonight about the specifics of our work in Mozambique, and we want to be able to share all that God has done, especially over the last um, few years. It's absolutely been phenomenal to see the Makunahata Church coming up and establishing themselves, and women coming to faith, which has been a big prayer request for us for many, many years. We want to share that with you tonight. One of the things that um, we do quite um, regularly is how we communicate the Word of God um, to a oral culture um, is a little different. And today I'm going to cover 20 chapters of the book of Genesis in 35 minutes for you. Um, but there's a reason for that, and it's because what I see God doing in the world today um, is unique. And it's not unique to Kansas City. It's not unique to Mozambique. God is um, resetting, as I, I have put it over the last few months, this world. And this reset is very unsettling for us. And it's been um, challenging. And what I have seen uh, God doing, and what I've seen the reality of what COVID has done to this world and to our lives personally, is that it has unleashed all forms of evil. The mask of this world has been put on, as we put them over our face and our nose, the reality of the world in which we are living has been unmasked. We've seen political unrest. We've seen mistrust. We've seen manipulation. We've seen people vying for personal gain at the destruction and demise of other people. We've seen civil unrest, racial division beyond measure. We've seen hoarding. We've seen fear. Who knew that toilet paper would be a thing in my lifetime? Crazy. We've seen social me uh, media bashing and all kinds of division within families and churches. And the church of Jesus Christ is potentially, in the midst of all this, can lose sight of the mission of God in the world if we're not careful, because of all of these things that we, that we see God doing. The big idea of today that I want us to all walk away from is hope. And that God is not surprised, nor is he afraid. 
He's not divided. He's not unsettled. He's in total control and with complete peace. He is, however, pivoting. He is, however, innovating. And he's shaping us for something different. And we have the chance and the opportunity and the privilege to see the world ourselves differently. And not the message, but the call of God on our lives. We've been given a gift and an opportunity. We don't always think of it that way when we are in isolation or we can't embrace each other like we would love to. And we're confused with all of the reasons why we can't and why some can and why some others can't. It's confusing. But there's a reset happening in the world. And the story I want to share with you today is about a family, um, the family of Abraham. And it's a story of a disparity between God's calling and blessing and promise and the reality of the human condition. And they could not be farther apart, but yet they are completely enmeshed. So it's it's the story of Abraham and Sarah, um, Ishmael and Hagar, Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau, Joseph. And then at the end, I'm going to throw in Simon Peter because he's just really cool. But this particular family that began with Abraham and the, the, the man of promise, he's the, the, the patriarch of this family. But as I read the whole 20 chapters of the story of this family, you know what I read? Because I actually went through and counted. There's over 30 examples from Abraham to Jacob and Esau and Joseph. 30 examples of lying, deceiving, deception, prostitution, divination, witchcraft, thievery. I mean, every form of evil you can imagine. And this is just one family. The flip side is, there's even more examples, as we read in the text this morning. That was just one example. God was with them. The promise was with them. God is in the reset. God is in is what is happening. God has not forsaken us. He has given us a chance, if we can develop the opportunity and the eyes to see, to pivot, to innovate, to look at God's message and God's word and God's mission. What is he doing and how do we respond? Is it about just coming back to church so everything is the same? It will never be the same. The world has changed permanently. But God has not. So we see this story of um, Abraham and Sarah, and, and then there was the birth of Ishmael and Hagar. And there was sin, and there was deception and usury and manipulation in the birth of these, these children. But I want to focus this first section on, um, I'm going to get back to Ishmael and Hagar because there's a lot to learn about how God wants us to pivot and think differently about the world in which we live. Jacob and Esau were born. They were twins, and they were family, and they were at odds, and they were very different as much as they were the same. But um, uh, one, the mom loved one more than the other because that's a healthy relationship, and they treated people differently, and, and they're using each other. I live in a culture 
in Mozambique where usury and manipulation and usury is a way of life. This is how we relate to each other. So as I'm reading this story, I'm going, oh, yeah, they must have grown up in Africa with, with my people. And there's lots of reasons socially and culturally why that is. But at, at the end of the day, Jacob, with his mom, used, as we know this story, to manipulate Isaac, and they sealed the birthright first off by because Esau wants what he wants, and he doesn't think, and he sells his birthright to his brother for a bowl of soup. Sometime later, as Isaac is aging, and it's time for him to bless the firstborn and give Esau the blessing, which is really important. We learn that with his mom that Jacob manipulates Isaac and steals the blessing. And then Esau finds out. And Esau says, I will kill you. And he vows to kill his own flesh and blood and his own brother. So, out of fear, Jacob leaves. And he goes to the land of Laban, his uncle. And he sees his beloved bride to be one day, Rebecca. And he works for seven years for his uncle Laban to uh, marry his, his Rebecca, all to find out that Laban deceives, because this is the family trait, to deceive him. And he wakes up the next morning, and there's Leah, which I'm sure was a very nice person, but not his first choice. He works another seven years to finally marry Rebecca, and then to find out after that that Laban changed his wages over a period of many years ten times using and manipulating Jacob. Jacob himself, as we know early on when he, he steals the birthright from his brother, he says, Esau says, he is rightly named Jacob. Do you know what that means? The deceiver. Jacob is living out who he is, but all the while there's this promise that says, and God will bless you, and God will provide for you, and God will make a great nation of you. And there's this conflict within this whole family of God's mission and calling, but the reality of who they were. They were. Life goes on, and there's more conflict and more deception, and finally, Jacob and his wife, they have conflict because he's gaining wealth and and power, and then they're manipulating and using each other over um, the livestock, and finally they have to leave, and Jacob, because he's a deceiver and a coward, he leaves in the middle of the night, but his wife steals the gods, the golden gods from the father. There's a whole conflict around that, and they finally leave. And then they're out in the wilderness. Jacob and his family has grown. They have actually two different sets of families. But Jacob says, send word to my brother. Why, I'm not for sure. Because the last thing we knew about Esau, he said he was going to kill. He vowed to kill Jacob. So this is a pivotal part of of the reset that God was doing in the life of Jacob, the deceiver. What we do know, because when Jacob hears that Esau's coming, he says, This guy's going to kill me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to separate my two families into two clans. So if Esau comes and wipes out one of them, maybe I'll still have one. How loving is that, right? As a matter of fact, I'm going to then take my beloved, uh, 
Rebecca, and I'm going to separate her with Joseph, my favorite son, and we're going to separate them, and then I'm going to go be by myself behind them. The coward is now hiding and has all kinds of these families and shields and protection, so when Esau comes, he will be safe. And then there's this story, many of you have heard this a million times, where a man meets Jacob in the middle of the night. And there's a wrestle, and there's a fight, and there's a wound, and Jacob says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And what does the man say? What is your name? Not because he didn't know his name. He was helping Jacob realize who he was. The deceiver, the liar, the user, the coward, the manipulator. And God was using this moment to reset Jacob to become in alignment with the promise and what he was doing. The next morning, Jacob uh, is, is free from this encounter, and he says, um, I have wrestled with God, and I have wrestled with man, and I did not die. And it was during that encounter that God himself changed Jacob's name from deceiver to, do we know, Israel. The name of the promise. But it was more than that, because as we read this story, what is interesting to me is that no longer is Jacob behind his wife and Joseph. No longer is he behind the two other clans of his family, but he is now in front. And it is he that receives his brother, Esau. And that is the beginning of a new era in that relationship. But the point is that God reset Jacob, not only did he change his name, but he changed his character. He changed his purpose. He changed his destiny. And he changed for generations to come and bringing into reality the fulfillment of God's blessing. God is in this reset. God was in that reset. And it's transformative. As we engage what God is doing in the world today, in mission, in our church, in our families, in our work, in our relationship, the question is not when do we go back to how it was, but is God transforming us during this season? As God transformed the character and purpose and vision of Jacob from deceiver to a father of a nation that had purpose and a destiny, that was full of blessing. He wants to do that with us too. A couple of the things I'll just throw in there about Ishmael and Hagar. Do you know that um, Ishmael had 12 tribes? He had 12 sons too. He was also blessed by God with a promise. Not the line of David. We get that. But he, they were his people. And he was the 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 father of current-day Islam. Something changed from that moment till now. But the scriptures did say and does say that Esau, who married his cousin, daughter of Ishmael, would be at enmity with Jacob and his descendants for all time. There's an interesting biblical account of what God is doing, but yet there's still hope and there's still promise and there's still redemption 
into that. God is in this reset and it's transformative. It changes our character. In chapter 37 through 45, we then jump ahead a few years and we begin to see the story of Joseph. Joseph, the son of Israel. A lot of those family traits are still continuing on. There's still deception and, and manipulation. And they end up selling the brother, selling Joseph to slaves as a slave. And he ends up going to Egypt. And the stories we know, there's uh, prosperity. Then there's deception. Then there's lying. And he gets thrown back in prison. And then throughout this whole narrative, what do we read about the story of Joseph in the text? God was with him. When I'm teaching the story of Joseph in our context, this particular story is taught in the madrasa, which is where you learn um, the Quran, where you learn to read and study um, Arabic as a young child, and they teach it the story of Joseph. But yet the people that are hearing this story from us the very first time never heard that God sees them, God knows about them, that he is with them along the journey. What man meant for evil, God has meant for good. That's right out of the text. And that is so applicable for us today. There's all kinds of stories and thinking about um, how COVID started, how this reality started, where it is, and what it's going to be. And the reality is, it doesn't matter because what has been meant for evil, we have to believe that God meant it and means it for his purposes, and it's good. God is in the reset of maturing us. God does cause danger, and God does allow a chaos and fear. He sure did in the life of Joseph. But God was with him. And with that, and in the reset in the life of Joseph, there was purpose and vision, prosperity, and the ability to care for a people that never would have been had Joseph never walked, had not walked that journey with God. God is in the reset of that. March, early March, um, we were preparing, for those of you who don't know, we run a, we're missionaries and we do business and we do disciple making through the context of business. And we're completely 100% dependent on tourism. Early March, um, the world changed as we know, and the borders of Mozambique shut down. Uh, we had to furlough 60% of our staff, had to continue paying their salaries required by law, and we had no income. I didn't know what we were going to do. We'd worked for 10 years to create a sustainable missional model that God would use to disciple people in a community, 99.8% Muslim, where there was no church. 
And God was doing and has done amazing things. And everything came, it's just like here, to a screeching halt. And I was, a, to put it mildly, afraid. <laughs> and uh, not quite sure what to do. And I started very much like uh, Simon Peter, casting nets. Frantically, trying to figure out God's solution to this. I should say my solution, because I was casting and coming up empty. Significantly. <laughs> and... Um, I spent some time one night in the story of the calling of the disciples, and I got to this section of Simon Peter and that part of Scripture where he's casting and there's nothing, casting and there's nothing, casting and there's nothing. And I, I, I had come to the belief that God was doing something. I didn't know what it was, but the day I had to stand before our staff and send these folks home was a very dark day and a scary day for our leadership, for sure. And the Lord said to me, Roger, I want you to do something. I want you to cast your net over here. And I said, uh, I don't think you know what you're talking about. If I'm totally honest. I said, that's not what we do. We cast our nets like this. And, you know, one of the names that people, that the, the, um, the cool people have given me, which I love, is called Nahota. And the Nahota is the guy on the boat who knows where to fish. He knows where we're going. So he stands at the very front of the dhow, and he's going, we're going there. That's my role. And it's not to go where I know there's not fish, right? But the Lord was saying, I need you to cast your nets over here. And so we actually, for a period of 24 hours or so, there was a struggle very similar to Simon Peter where I said, Ah, uh, I don't trust you that much because, you know, I'm not going to do that. And finally the Lord said, obey or not, but you'll die. Not physically, but the work will be over if you don't obey. So I woke up the next morning and um, I said, okay, what does that mean? And the Lord gave us a word that said, I want you to start with your business that has no income. I want you to start feeding the community. This is not where we cast our nets. <laughs> That's emptying our nets with no fish. And um, so uh, he said, I want you to start feeding the community, and I want you to provide a mask for every person on the island. We don't have masks. So I cast the net, and I sent one email to one place. Long story short, six weeks later, we distributed over 7,100 meals to local people and provided over 7,100 masks to local people, all given in the name of Jesus in a Muslim community. And not only were we able to do that, but it paid our salaries for our staff for three months. There's a, I could talk about this particular story for another hour, and I won't, Pastor, but God taught me that not only does he want to transform my character, not only does he want me to know that he is with me and that he will make a way and he will create vision and purpose like he did in the life of Joseph and opportunity, 
But to live that out in this reset, we must be obedient. And when we are obedient to what God is doing, it is going to feel like we're casting our nets in places that don't make sense. Because we're used to the groove of where we've always cast our nets, how we've lived our life, how we do church, how we uh, worship, how we engage our world. All, we're longing to just keep casting there. But God wants to innovate. In business, we talk about pivoting. We had to pivot in our business. We had to change our marketing. We had to change um, our products. We had to change who we're selling to. We had to change everything to move forward. And it required obedience. We couldn't be obedient to fear. We couldn't be obedient to longings of days gone by. We had to be obedient to the pivot God is doing in this world and be ready to be obedient to participate. Obedience is the key to the reset. God is with us. Uh, he sees us. Make sure I'm okay on time here. He knows our name. He has a plan and a purpose for us as well. What is he transforming in you? What elements of fear or what elements of sin or dysfunction that God is doing that the world in which we are living in is transforming? Because we cannot live out the full purpose of his blessing. This is what's so great about our Heavenly Father is that He will deal with our character. Tonight, when you come to um, see our presentation, I have a slide that has uh, a young man from about 15 years ago. His name is Mokondi, Momadi Mokondi. He hates that name because like uh, Jacob, it means rejection. He was born a lighter skin. His mother was Portuguese. So uh, they gave him a name of a different people group to the north, which are the enemies. There's lots of racial tension. And so he changed his name as an adult to Robson. (laughs) So I know him as Robson. But I have a picture of, of when I first met him. He had long dreads, and he was the guy that sold me things on the street. And um, nice guy, uh, nice enough. Uh, We became friends, but he was um, a street guy. The picture that you'll see tonight when you come to the right is the same guy, but you will not recognize his physical appearance. Not because just that the dreads were gone. Dreads were not bad. I liked them. He looked cool. It wasn't a big deal. But the point was who God has transformed him to be on the inside has an amazing impact of who he is on the outside, how he carries himself, his position in the community. He went from the rejected person of society to not only a business leader as the manager of Rickshaw, our, our hotel and restaurant, but a man that the community looks to for wisdom. He will change your character. 
And as he's maturing in you, the reset that God has in within us today is preparing us for something new. The vision isn't behind us, although we long for that. There's aspects of that. I think we'll get some of that. Who knows? But the question is, not what will life look like that is reminiscent of the past, but what is God doing? And this is the hopeful part. It's a little scary sometimes, but the hopeful part is there is a future. And we are part of it. Regardless of what happens in America, what happens in the world, God has a purpose and a vision for his people. And are we prepared? Are we maturing? James 1 is still very true. Diverse trials and temptations and problems create what? Perseverance and maturity and preparation for what that is. Then finally, what is God asking you to do? The practical aspect of his blessing and his purposes and the transformation of your character will require obedience. God is resetting the world, for sure. But God is resetting me. Me. My character. My development. My purpose and my vision of what he is asking of me individually, asking of our church body corporately, and the body of Christ around the world. I believe we are at the front door of the greatest opportunity for the gospel in many, many years. This is not the end of anything. This is the gateway to pivoting, innovation, creativity, blessing, transformation. Don't get bogged down in fear or discouragement or isolation which are so easy for us. This is a message of hope and purpose and joy and celebration, but it will require obedience. What is God asking of you? Do you see God transforming? Do you see God wrestling with you? Do you see God changing your character, the character of our church? What are the opportunities LifeBridge has for this community because COVID happened. You may not have an answer in your head right now, but begin praying that God will reveal to the leadership and to the church and the body of Christ the opportunities to reach people and in ways that we couldn't before. One of the blessings that Bruce shared with me that with the technology and the things that we have, people have been so faithful at LifeBridge to be here when they can, to watch online, to support the ministry of the church. And I have to tell you, church, that is not true everywhere. God has a blessing and a purpose and a vision for LifeBridge in ways that you never dreamed possible in this community and around the world. Be encouraged but be obedient. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you.
for the family of Abraham and Sarah, all the way down to Isaac and Rebecca and Rachel, this whole family, or that struggled to live in harmony with you and with each other and with others and such brokenness. This disparity between you and, the, and who we are as people is so devastatingly sinful. But you are the God of promise. And you promised us hope. You promised us, you promised us trouble. <laughs> and you promised us blessing. Lord, I pray that we will cast our nets in obedience when we don't understand, we don't trust, we think we have the answers. But Lord, you do. Lord, may our nets be full. Lord, that the mission, your mission around the world, continue to be impactful. Lord, we trust that. This is your mission, this is your world, we are your people. And Lord, we can find joy and worship and comfort in being your children. Even when things are really hard. Even when things are scary. Even when things are uncertain. Lord, I pray that you would give us courage to participate in the reset of our character and the reset of our vision and purpose. And that we would reset with obedience. Lord, in your son's name we pray. Amen.